Rusty Quill presents. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Today's broadcast brought to you by Minerva's bite-sized boxing booklet solution. Little time for lessons in the leisure of life? Cornered in an alley or barn and able to enjoy your liquid libations? Minerva's bite-sized boxing booklet solution is your detour to damage. Minerva's bite-sized boxing booklet solution slides easily into any purse or pocket and can be slipped out discreetly. Thumb through the pages to quickly acquaint yourself with the finer finesse of fighting. Keep your guard up. Protect your face. With just a few pointers, you'll be a pugilist from its petite pages. Keep one handy in the kitchen. Happy punching. Minerva's bite-sized boxing booklet solution. Save your regrets for tomorrow. The three little Duncan brothers, Teddy, Remy, and Lenny, found themselves in an empty room with a dirt floor under the main stairs just below street level. Their parents had left in the night while the boys slept on a small, worn rug. The three of them, all under the age of six, huddled on a crate together in the damp cold of the bare room. Rumbling bellies, no shoes, and an empty room that was paid through the end of the month. Teddy went outside, following the smell of some thin soup from upstairs, hoping to beg. And he noticed the cramped travelers in the hallway. He offered to let them stash their bags in their room for a penny, More pennies rolled in as travelers showed up, conned into an overcrowded building. They stashed more bags, and then people into their underground room, some crates, some contraband, and even a carpet rolled up in the suspicious shape of someone's aunt. The brothers stole and conned what little they could off the night roamers and the destitute of the sunken district. Too many bodies, not enough beds, and Teddy had an idea. 
Remy, the one who could write a little, charcoaled out on a board. One cent, nightly sit. They allowed people to sit up against the walls of the room, and with an old rope they fished out of the port, they tied them under their arms to sleep upright, as many bodies as could be crammed in together. Between the bag storage fees and the nightly sit, they collected enough to pay the next month's rent. They upped their offering to a two-penny hang, stretched out ropes from beams to the walls to allow people to slouch. And they cut the ropes at dawn, collapsing the bodies to the floor. Then they rented out the cellar room next to them and added rows of five-penny coffins that they'd built by hand out of old crates. Lenny, the tallest, and the one who looked oldest, carried a rusty hammer on his belt, chewed on a matchstick to make sure no one got unruly. When he'd saved enough, he bought a pond bowler hat to make him look grown up. The Duncan brothers' business expanded through the whole building, and then the next one, then the block, then the whole row, and into their first warehouse. Remy was good with money. Lenny was good at getting it out of anyone withholding it. And Teddy was the planner. Warehousing goods and contraband was a fair bit easier than dealing with the dregs of the street. They stepped between coughs and moans and disposed of bodies that had passed in the night. And they were good to be rid of it. But Duncan saw every aspect of suffering in Celine enter their rooms saw the huddled children in the doorway, those straddled with illness and addiction. They invested wholly in warehouses and storage, hollowed out some buildings to make new ones. When the mills and the tanneries and the smokestacks raised up in the factory district, the Duncans built warehouses from there all the way out to the port, the docks, and helped to lobby the city to build the tracks to travel the goods from the kilns right to the hoists onto the ships and out sea. The Duncans structured a tight group of loyal workers to manage and move the freight. Teddy had bigger plans still. When they saw the riches pouring into the barrens of Lanula Park, they decided to break into the manufacturing business themselves. They weren't experts in much, but they had a good deal of wood, and Teddy had a thing for fire and matches. And so matches seemed like an easy entree. They converted one of their warehouses and recruited a small army of little girls to sell the first loose matches from cups on street corners. Duncan's Matches was born. They were known to be tough but fair, and many workers flocked to their crews away from the exploiting bosses of the other factories. They were ingrained in their neighborhood, and as the downtrodden came to them for favors and to solve grievances, they and their Duncan's Matches union kept the peace in the areas where they operated. Teddy in particular never forgot the faces of the abandoned in their one penny sit, and realized with every street person they put into a position, they could enrich themselves and bring their neighborhood a bit more out of the blight and out of the muck of the thick green fog. Slowly, and then with increasing momentum, they began to organize the street kids into labor jobs, or structured gangs to operate in strategic parts of the city. No longer would they prey on their own. 
but would slip into society to pull riches from the upper areas of Selene and back into their tenements. In the light of day, Duncan's Matches was a reputable company and labor union, and at night they kept a tight ship on all of the vices of the city. The brothers ran a citywide operation like a machine, collaborating between the street gangs and the hawkers with spies on every corner. The match girls, the blind pencil sellers, the chimney sweeps, the flower girls, the river sweepers, the muckrakers, the, the matchbox makers, the loom operators. The stream gangs were their grifts, pickpockets, the dippers, the coiners, the ring drops, the apple swindlers and patterers, the rogues, the pawnbrokers, all of the penny gaff theaters, the shell games, all proffered by the colorful gangs of the Duncan Union. They organized the dock workers and almost all of the factory labor. Anything under the Lethe River became Duncan territory. The factory district, the wet market, the train depot, the port, the sunken district, the river and bridges, and the muck all belonged to the Duncan Union. A section of Selene that collectively became known as the Sticks. <laughs> the area once plagued by poverty and sickness had been organized by the Duncans with at least some level of hygiene standard. They employed street sweepers, lime washers, tried to provide clean water for the neighborhoods. The sticks were fiercely loyal to the Duncans. No one ever saw anything or heard anything or turned rat against them. The constables from Needle Street had a wary presence in the sticks, and those that did tended to be from there and have a connection and be on the take. Inspectors rarely went to the sticks, but if they did... Anything they uncovered was shared with the Duncan brothers. That was the understanding. Needle Street did not have enough manpower to counter the Duncans, and an uneasy truce maintained the peace. The Duncans tended to have their own justice, quietly, out of sight, and only in whispers. Many of the children in the sticks who would have starved to death on the streets were now put to good use in labor or other rackets. It was still a life of struggle, but better than one of abject poverty and begging. One of these street children was a boy with a nickname of Shiner. Shiner was the youngest of seven brothers. His father was a dock worker, and his mother worked on a spinner machine in one of Edmund Green's textile mills. Shiner liked the water from a young age, especially muddy puddles. When he was about five years old, his brothers forced him into working as a river sweeper. He would traverse the muddy banks of the Lethe and the smaller canals in his bare feet, toes in the mud, sifting through the muck looking for anything of value. Coins tossed off the bridge, lost rings, broken crates from carriages or rafts out to port. While he searched, he would collect watercress that grew along the banks and would tie it up in a bundle on his thin rope belt. Shiner, being the smallest of the litter, usually had his collection stripped from him by his brothers as they beat the tar out of him each and almost every day. Shiner's brothers were ruthless. But Shiner also had a smart-ass mouth that couldn't help himself. A mouth that would often get him in trouble. His brothers and the other big kids would knock him senseless. He gave as good as he could, but he was small and would resort to mockery and even giggle while getting punched. His other brothers, all older than he was, eventually took dock and factory jobs with the Duncan's Union. Shiner was too young. But tired of the unreliable nature of river muck, he sought something more respectable and consistent. He never had the stripe to run in street gangs. 
but he heard the calling of a newsie at the edge of the bridge trying to catch the foot traffic. His mother sent him for a sheep's head at the wet market, and on his return, he spotted a newsie from the lantern paper shouting out the headline in urgency. It occurred to him that for once, his mouth, instead of getting him in trouble, might make him some scratch. It was a two-fold challenge. He would need to get sign-off from the Duncans to sell lantern papers as part of the Newsies Guild, and also be assigned a location in the city. He would need to save enough to buy his first stack of papers. Newsies were loosely affiliated with the Lantern, but bought their own stacks and then kept the money from any sales they made. Shiner blagged his way to the head of the Newsies Guild, was assigned the tail end of the theater row selling papers after the shows got out. But he liked the waters of Lanula Park. He liked Parvin Pond, the sweet air and the ducks that lived on the banks. He strolled over there and sold his newspapers at the park entrance gate instead. This would have normally been trouble, but Shiner was dang good at it. He doubled his Duncan tribute from the jump, and they looked the other way. Shiner struck up a friendship with a Needle Street constable named Hughes, an older fellow who took the park beat as an easy slide to retirement. The two chummed up together to take advantage of the park row rich, and well, you know some of that story already. After his last paper met the gloved hands of a fellow on an after-work stroll, as the gas lights of Lanula Park began their radiant firefly light of the evening, Shiner cut through the park on his way home when he spotted two laced and pointy boots poking out from the shrubs. Occasionally there would be a little too much imbibing at the Nightshade Cafe. Someone might sleep it off in the bushes. But when Shiner took a closer look, it was not so. A young woman had been terribly disfigured and left in the rising dust shadows. He alerted Hughes immediately the pair signaled Needle Street. They retrieved the body, and Shiner accompanied Hughes back to Needle Street and down into the basement morgue to answer any questions that the medical examiner Daphne Wegg had about the discovery. The dim light of the basement glowed off the green tile, Wegg's photography hung from strings about the walls. A single water sprinkler sat above a slab to wash the bodies. The young woman was hoisted from a stretcher onto the slab. Wegg tied on her leather apron and pulled her giant scissors, went to work clearing the jacket and corset away from the young woman's body. Shiner, look away, love. Oh, I've seen worse in the muck. Found half a head once. Shiner. Ooh, all's right. Where was she found again? She's just lying there under the bushes near the tree with the roots that grow over the bench foot. I didn't see nobody. Just could see the lights of the nightshade. And judging by her clothes, she's wealthy. Probably a local. Did you identify her? Oh no, ma'am. You said no, too. He's filling out the paperwork upstairs. Okay, let's see. Uh, female park victim. Young woman. Uh, 
deceased is a female of fair complexion, aged approximately, mm, I'm going to say 17 years, with a height of about uh, 5 feet 6 inches, and a weight of 115 pounds. Rigor mortis and lividity are evident in the face and spreading to the limbs, indicating postmortem consistent with an estimated time of death approximately four hours prior to examination. So I'll say the death took place around dusk. Okay, removing this jacket. Hmm. The body exhibits multiple lacerations and contusions, primarily located in the cephalic region, cervical, thoracic, and mm, looks like upper extremities as well. Injuries appear to be caused by human bite marks. Yep, characterized by oval-shaped patterns, discernible tooth impressions. I'm going to say human. The bite marks exhibit variations in size and depth, with some displaying partial tearing of the skin and underlying tissue. Uh, oh, let's see. Hmm. Evidence of hemorrhage, damaged soft tissues and possibly organs. Neck displays contusions and fractures. Indicative of forceful manual strangulation. Uh, feels like multiple rib fractures. Pulmonary contusions are also observed. Looks like blunt force trauma to the chest. Uh, Hemorrhagic contusions and lacerations in the abdomen. No alcohol in the breath or signs of intoxication. Dirt and skin under the fingernails. Looks like cause of death determined to be multiple injuries resulting from human bite wounds. Blood force trauma to the chest and manual strangulation. Injuries are indicative of a violent attack likely involving an assailant inflicting bites and using physical force to subdue the victim. Uh, I'll check the legs. Wait. Wait. There's something jammed here in her petticoat. It's an envelope. And there's a letter inside. Dear boss, do you like my work? Been looking for something I can really sink my teeth into. First from the muck I am. Spat out of the blackness and onto the shores to nibble all the pretty things. Where to next? Your morgue will be overflowing soon and the needles are too slow for me. I'm just getting started. I'm thirsty for more screens and I'll have to keep coming to you since you haven't the gumption to come to me. You are town silks will ever be safe again. Yours truly, the Rattachan.
Feeling trapped in the attic? And just as a parasite? Looking for a Lenny Penny? Come bask in the emerald green glow of a strange city lying alone. Join our Patreon for Selena Cleveland, and Minerva might just let you pick her next solution. Join our Patreon, and no one will ever ask you for anything ever again. And again, 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 and again. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.